Church, we are so blessed to have Pastor Neil coming to share God's Word with us this morning. So blessed to have Neil coming. Neil has preached this message for us every Christmas um, to because we all come out of Christmas lights and we're like exhausted. Or back, it used to be in the carols actually, is where it started. So Neil has just, every year, he just books us in to bless us. This is Neil's 20, 25 years, 25 years 25th year, <laughs> preaching this one for us. Neil, Dude, you bless buddy. us, brother. Thank My you so pleasure. much. I know you're going to be so pleasure. encouraged by the word Neil no has worries. for us um, this morning as well. Um, and so I know you gave him a bit of a welcome. Come on, give him another no welcome worries. to Neil. 25 years. Thank you, Thank you much. Thank you. I said to Nathan, when I get to 50 years, I get the gold watch. So I've just got, I've just got 25 years more to go. I'm sure we all have family Christmas traditions, don't we? Little things that you do as your family that might be a little bit different from another family. Some people choose a real Christmas tree. Some people choose fake Christmas trees. Growing up, we used to have pine trees down our driveway. So we would get the real Christmas tree. Dad would get out with his saw and cut down a branch of one of the trees and put it in the pot full of sand and, and put it in the lounge room just high enough just to touch the ceiling, put the presents around it. It was all good until one year we went to bed at, Chris, at Christmas Eve, not realising that there was a praying mantis cocoon in the tree and that while we were asleep, it broke open and that on Christmas morning, we awoke to at least 100 mini. Like, have you seen baby praying mantises? They're about this big. 100 of them crawling all over the presents under the tree. We still went back to a uh, real tree the next year as well. Some of you, when it comes to presents that uh, you buy Christmas presents for everybody that you know. Other families I know decide, right, there's too many members, we're just going to choose one person, and so you only have to buy a present for one person. Some of you have a hot Christmas dinner. Some of you have seafood. Some of you, when it comes to unwrapping presents, you're like me and you get the little sticky tape bit and you try to peel it off as, as delicately as you can and keep the paper, it can always be used next year again. Others of you just wrap the, tear the thing apart when it comes to the presents. I've grown up with, as I'm sure you have, those songs that we're most familiar with. It's a wonderful time of the year, wonderful Christmas. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas dashing through the snow. I thought for a change, it would be nice to enjoy a white Christmas. So I contacted a family in Canada and flew over there just to experience a very different type of Christmas. So a few days before Christmas Day, we headed out. We went staying in Vancouver. We went to Abbotsford, 45 minutes east of Vancouver went to a uh, Christmas concert, very similar to what we had here with the seniors on uh, November the 29th. String quartet, we got to sing carols, a uh, wonderful time together. The thing that surprised me about that evening was the music director would write a Christmas carol every year just for that one performance. I mean, that's incredible, amazing. And then it came to the actual Christmas itself. So Christmas Eve, we went to church, early church. And then we came back home and Fred, the guy I was staying with, he went out on the deck. It was snowing outside and he cooked a salmon on the barbecue. And then he brought the salmon in and we ate salmon and salad for Christmas dinner. And I got thinking it's snowing outside and we're eating just warm salmon and salad 
and memories of my mum, and some of you ladies would appreciate this, my mum, 20, 30, 40 years ago, 38 degrees on Christmas Day, we've got to have the turkey, we've got to have the roast vegetables, we've got to have the plum pudding with custard, and we're all just sweating away there because this is the family tradition. And here am I in Vancouver, and it's snowing and it's cold, and I'm eating salmon and salad and following it up with ice cream. But anyway, it's all different. It's all very, we're, we're weird sometimes, aren't we? And then it came to the presents, and so Fred would go to the tree, and he would pick up a present, and he'd find the person who was giving the present and give the present to that person, and then they would pass it on the person that they were giving to. So, of course, then I got thinking, well, we've done the church service, we've done the dinner, we've done the presents, Christmas Eve, what does tomorrow hold? And so I had to ask, didn't I? I said, oh, by the way, what do you normally do on Christmas Day? And they said, well, all the churches are closed. There's no services on Christmas Day unless you want to go into the city, Neil. Or the other option is we could take you to Whistler and you could go skiing with 100 Santas. Mm, I thought about that for a moment. Or actually, you might want to go to the movies because there's a movie we really want to see. So I went to the movies on Christmas Day. Never done that before. Just different, that's all. Very different Christmas. If you've been to a Christmas in the Northern Hemisphere, maybe you've experienced something similar. I want you to cast your mind back some 2,000 years and think of that very first Christmas and how different how different it is to the one that we celebrate. Imagine for a moment that you are king of the universe. You are the supreme power and authority. And that your creation that you've created in the very apex of your creation has rebelled against you, set themselves up as God, wanted to rule their own kingdom, what would your response be to them? You might destroy them. No time for me, I'll just get rid of you. You might ignore them. I'll just go and live with the consequences of your own actions. You can just live that way. I'm going to go and do something else. Or you might abandon them. I'm not going to have anything to do with you ever again. But that's not God, is it? That's not God. To have walked away, to have abandoned, to ignored his creation would say that God does not truly love us. For God's love is never determined by our love to him first of all. That's not the essence of real love. Real love is giving, it's sacrificial, it's forgiving. And it seeks to reconcile. It seeks to want the best for the other person, even though the other person may not want anything to do with you. Maybe as a parent, you've experienced that kind of love sometimes when you, you love a child, but you're seeing very little response coming back to you. But you still continue to love, don't you? Because he or she is your child. The very heart of God's love is giving, suffering, forgiving, and reconciliation. God, who is rich in mercy, pursued us before we had any desire to pursue him. 
I imagine if we were the supreme being, we would not have organised events that occurred on that very first Christmas. We would not have chosen a poor couple, probably in their teenage years, betrothed to be married, not even married, and enable the woman to become pregnant, not because of the man, but because of the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. We would not have included this long journey by a donkey to Bethlehem because the census of the day required it. We would not have included the innkeeper saying to him, no room, sorry, no room here. You're going to have to find your own accommodation for the night. We would not have included an animal trough as the first cradle for the child to be born king. We would not have included, I even want to say, the announcement of the birth of the Messiah to a group of teenage boys probably, shepherds out there on the fields looking after their sheep by night and a multitude of heavenly hosts appearing to them saying, great, great news, you've got to go to Bethlehem. There you shall find the Christ child born in a manger. We would not have planted a star stationary in the sky, beaming its light down on just one home in Bethlehem, announcing this is the place where the, where the saviour of the world has been born. The birth of Jesus is told for us in two of the Gospels, primarily in Matthew and Luke. Matthew from Joseph's perspective and Luke from Mary's perspective and just kind of touched upon in, in Mark and John, well, probably not in Mark very much at all. But I was thinking this week, I was thinking about, obviously, the Christmas story, the Christmas message. I was thinking, is there one verse in the New Testament which encapsulates the whole Christmas story, the whole Christmas message? And I found it. But it's not in the Gospels. It's in Paul's writing to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. And Paul writes these words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This morning, I want us to think about that verse in the context of Christmas. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. I think when Paul was writing those words, he had the incarnation foremost in his mind, that the word became flesh was primary in his thought. So let's have a look at this verse. Some versions, have by, some versions have, by the way, not only grace, but the generous grace, the generous grace. Grace is, is one of those words perhaps that Christians use more than those who are not Christians. Grace is a, is a word that is often used in the form of beauty. If we find that someone has a beautiful poise, that, that their line of how they move, their body is beautiful, we might call them graceful. In fact, one definition I looked up of the word grace is this, an act of beauty, an act of beauty. So if we put that definition into that verse there, we come up with this. It was an act of beauty 
that our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, became poor. It was an act of beauty that the word became flesh. In doing so, Jesus gave up all his wealth and became poor. When a person normally, normally has great wealth, three things are tied to their great wealth. They have a, a great position. They're a person of some kind of authority. They're able to dictate to others. That they have great possessions. They have more wealth and so they're able to show others, this is the lifestyle that I live. And they also have great power. They have power over others who are not in the same position that they are. Jesus, great in position, great in possession and great in power, gave it all up and became poor. So his wealth of position, position. Christ is greater than all of creation. Christ is greater than all the angelic beings. The writer to the Hebrews poses the question and expecting a negative answer asks this. 1.13. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The writer would say, no, not to any angel has God the Father done that, only to his Son. Christ holds supreme position at the Father's right hand. In fact, Isaiah describes, if for a moment we can be transported to heaven, of all the angels who continually praise the Godhead, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 describes Christ as the firstborn over all creation. Not, not to meaning that there was a time when Christ did not exist, but that he is supreme over all, over everything that exists. There is nothing created in the universe that is his equal. There is nothing in the universe that is created universe that is his opposite. Christ great in wealth of position. Christ is also great in wealth of possession. Colossians 1.16, all things were created through him and for him, all things. No person, no human being has ever owned, owns or will own anything of great value in comparison to Christ. All things were created through him. But this verse tells us that not only all things were created through him, but that all things were created for him. You and I were created for Christ. He owns everything. For a moment, my, ma my mind ran a little bit wild this week. I was thinking, imagine getting every person's bank account and putting all the money just into one bank account, into my bank account, how wealthy I would be. But in comparison with Christ, 
insignificant. Imagine taking the most expensive item of everything in the world, the best watch, the best house, the best plane, bringing it all together into one place in comparison to the wealth of Christ. Insignificant. And Christ also has great wealth of power, of power. Colossians 1.17, in him all things hold together. And Hebrews 1.3, he sustains all things by his powerful word. That says this, if Christ just for a moment was to withhold his powerful word, Everything would fall apart. Everything would begin to decay. Everything would begin to be destroyed if Christ just for a moment withheld his word for his everything is sustained by his powerful word. Great in position, great in possession and great in power, all found in the infinite and unmeasurable degree and found in in a person, his name, Jesus Christ. And Paul says this, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he became poor. He became poor. Initially, when we read those words, perhaps our minds go back to the Christmas story 2,000 years ago. And we think of Mary and Joseph making that journey to Bethlehem, travelling on a donkey, not some great procession with a great fanfare and trumpeters going on before them, but just a young couple to this small little town called Bethlehem. And on arrival there, what do they find? That there's no room that's been laid out for them beforehand. The innkeeper ready. We've been waiting for you, expecting you. I have given you the best room that I have. No, we hear his words. No room here. Go somewhere else. Jesus was born into a poor family. But thinking about this verse this week, there is another aspect and that is the poverty of taking on our humanity. For a moment, think about Christ leaving the splendour of heaven, adored by all the angels, all creation belonging to him and he became poor by becoming flesh, our flesh, the same flesh that you and I have being born a baby, that is poverty. Christ entered into the poverty of our human existence. And what did he find? That those who are like him did not welcome him, did not want him to be around. He was rejected by us. It means that you and I, we can never say to Jesus, Jesus, you don't, you don't understand what I'm going through. Jesus' reply to you and me is this, I know exactly what you're going through. I sympathise with your weaknesses. I have been there. 
compared to all that he had, great in position, great in possession, great in power, Christ became like we are. That's the sacrifice. That's the sacrifice of love in the Christmas story, that he laid aside his position. He voluntarily chose to live like a man. He chose to live as an example for you and I every day, every moment of every day, surrendering his will to the Father's will, empowered by the Holy Spirit within him, wanting nothing else but that the Father be glorified. John 14, verse 10. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own, Jesus said, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus laid aside his position and, and Jesus also laid aside his possession. Born in a borrowed manger, had to borrow a coin to illustrate a miracle. Put to death and buried in a borrowed tomb. And he laid aside his power also. John 5, 19, I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Christ willingly surrendered the independent use of his position, his possession and his power so that the father's will might be done in his life. This is what Paul was saying when he said, he who was rich became poor for our sakes. Indwelt and empowered by the Spirit of God every moment of every day, he gave up all that he had for our sake. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul puts it this way. He said, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. There's been great discussion over the years. of What does it mean he emptied himself? Well, he gave up his omnipresence of being present everywhere. Now a baby born in a manger. He gave up his omniscience, knowing everything, chose to grow in wisdom and stature. He gave up his omnipotence, being powerful in everything, to live like you and I do. Though rich, supremely wealthy, he gave it all up for our sakes, to the point of even giving his life for you and for me. What was the motivation, Paul writes? Because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. To go from supreme wealth to poverty normally occurs in one of three ways. Someone can make a poor decision. They've made the wrong decision. They've, been they've taken bad advice and they've lost nearly everything and now end up in poverty. Others might lose everything because of the evil intent of others. They've been ripped off. They've been abused. It was nothing that they did of themselves. It's what somebody else did to them. And they end up living in poverty. Others lose everything by natural disaster. Flood or fire sweeps through and they lose nearly everything. And they have to begin to rebuild their lives. But 
who has supreme wealth and voluntarily gives it all up to live in poverty? Only Jesus. That's a far different thing to have all the riches at your disposal but choose not to make use of any of them. And of course, it's God in Christ on the cross that is ultimate poverty. God proves his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It means when we had no time for Christ, wholly absorbed with our lives, our pursuits, our plans, our purposes, not wanting God in our life at all, that's when Christ died for us. And isn't that love in poverty? Now, of course, you've got to ask the question, why? Why would Christ want to do that? Why would he go through all of that? And Paul answers it with the end of the verse when he says, so that you and I might become rich. Rich. It's said that the moment that you and I become a Christian, 33 things happen to us instantaneously. 33. I'm not going to talk about 33. I'm just going to mention three. When we come to Christ... When we turn from our sin and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we enter into a new position, a new position. We now see God not as someone who's ready to bash us over the head every time we do wrong, but we see a heavenly father, a heavenly father who wants to bless us, a heavenly father whose job is to protect us, a heavenly father who adores us as his adopted child, who welcomes us into his family, who provides for us, and that we can now call Abba. That's an Aramaic word, and the equivalent for us in the English is Daddy, Daddy. The picture here that Paul writes is of a father having compassion on his child, picking them up, embracing them, bringing them near to him. I was swimming at Caloundra this week in the surf, and there was a young boy right next to me, and I thought, gee, the water's a bit deep for you. I can barely touch and here you are, and his father was standing behind him, a little bit shallower, the water. And I thought, you're okay as long as a big wave doesn't come. Well, it wasn't too long, right, until a big wave started to come. And, of course, what's the natural reaction that a boy does in that moment? He says one word, Daddy. And straight away the father grabbed him, lifted him up, and the wave washed over the father as the sun was held up. That is a picture of God, that we call out to him. And what does he do? He picks us up and he saves us. We are granted a new position. We're also granted a new possession. When we put our faith in Christ, we now enter into this beautiful, intimate relationship of being in Christ and Christ is in us. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And I'm able to say, God belongs to me. And God says, Neil, you belong to me. And nothing shall separate that relationship. We enter into this new possession where we have this intimate union 
with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. For Jesus did not come as a temporary visitor to our world. He came to be a permanent resident in his world. And thirdly, we also gain a new power. We put our faith in Christ and we come as a broken vessel. We know our weaknesses, we know our frustrations, we know we are not the person God created us to be and we come to God and God embraces us and he says to us, I am going to make you whole. I am going to heal you of all those hurts, of all those disappointments. You now have a new power, not your power, but my power in you. For through your weakness, my power is revealed. And so we, in Christ, we are rich beyond measure. Paul would say in this verse, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was poor for your sake, Though he was rich for your sakes, became poor so that you might become rich. If I can just reword those words in the context of the Christmas story, I'd put it this way. For you know the beautiful act, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, supreme in position, supreme in possession, supreme in power, gave it all up that he would give of himself to be born as a baby in a manger, grow as a man, die on the cross, be raised from the, uh, from the, uh, be raised from the grave and ascend into heaven so that you, so that you might become rich, rich in position in your relationship with God, rich in possession with Christ who now lives in you and rich in power for my glory is shown in your weakness. And where is this all found? Where is this all centred? In Christ, our Saviour. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can call out to you, Heavenly Father. You are there at the ready to rescue us, to save us, to take us out of our poverty and make us the richest people on this earth. We thank you for the blessing of your Holy Spirit who comes to dwell within us, that through our weakness you display your glory and power and that Christ did all of this for our sake. Oh, Lord, we lift our hearts, we lift our voices in song to you now as we express our deep love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Neil, for sharing that with us. Such a powerful word for us as we come to this Christmas season. We're going to sing in a moment and just give thanks to to our Saviour for all he's done for us. It reminded me, as Neil was preaching, of Paul's prayer for the believers in Ephesians 1, where he prayed that people would grab hold of this, this inheritance that was theirs in Christ. He says this, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light 
so you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And then he goes on to say, And to know that God has put all things under the authority of Christ, has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, for us as his people. Isn't this amazing to know this? And so we want to come, give him thanks, worship him. So why don't you stand with me as we give thanks for these truths that are ours in Christ Jesus, to take hold of them, to claim them, and to ask God to continue to pour out his blessing on us as his people. Let's worship him together.